Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on the athletic director at Johns Hopkins University, Jen Baker. And I met Jen when we were both working at Cornell, but a little bit about her background. She grew up in the Baltimore, Maryland area. She went to college at the Naval Academy where she got a degree in aerospace engineering and was also a national champion in club lacrosse. After her degree there, she spent seven years in the Navy as both a pilot and then a facilities manager. When she was done there, she went on to Cornell to get her MBA, and that's where I met Jen, and she worked her way up to become the Associate Athletic Director for Facilities, among other things. While she was at Cornell, she spearheaded an initiative called the Big Red Leadership Institute, which I got involved in because I absolutely loved it, where it was a program for all of the athletes to learn about followership and leadership. And from there, she went back home to Baltimore to run the facilities for Under Armour, pretty big company right there. And now she is back in academia and athletics as the AD for Johns Hopkins. And she also uh, co-founded a company called the Athletic Leadership Consulting, where they use athletics as a tool to teach kids leadership education. What a resume right there, but we got another guy who we are going to have on the podcast, the talent, Jeffrey Vecchio, who also has a pretty nice resume. Vex, what's going on today? I'm uh, doing well, man. Doing well. Voice is starting to go. Look out. It's, it's that time of year where I start to get pretty busy here with the off season starting up and having, uh, you know, four to 30, 40, 50 guys in the gym a day here and the voice is going. So uh, bear with me here, listeners. I am sorry, as the Canadians <laughs> would like to say. Uh, you got to be pumped, though. You're back in your groove, huh? Dude, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's so fun to see the boys, you know, every day just like dialing in. And we started doing this thing. I put a note on my desk to remind myself like of the things that are super important to me and that I have to do every day. Because with training, it's always ebbing and flowing. Guys might come in, they might be tired. You might have to, you know, make up things or, or change your plans on the fly, depending on how everything's going. Uh, but um, something that I've done every single day since we started, this is week four now of the off season with my younger guys. Uh, we I have them lay down, close your eyes, and we do a minute of intention. So intention, why are you here? And I tell you have to think, why are you here? What are your goals? Why are you going to work as hard as you're going to work? Are there certain numbers you want to hit next year? Is there a team you're trying to make? Do you want to go from third line to second line, from backup goalie to starting goalie? Whatever your goals are for next year, I want you to focus on that right now so that you think about why you're going to work hard and smart today. I'll tell you what, it's been awesome and, and the, really notched it up another level this year. And I think it's literally just from bringing in like your why, like we always talk about. And I'm going to make sure we do that throughout the entire off season. And uh, at the end, I also, before we do our uh, meditation, I have them close your eyes and say, now you have to reflect on your day. Did you give a hundred? Did you pay attention to every little single detail before you came into the gym? 
how was your day? You know, were you stressed out? Could you have done better breathing? So like intention and reflection, we're doing it every single day, the entire off season. And uh, I'm excited to see, see where that goes. I love that so much. And I think the other thing that's important about what you said there is like your days are going to be jam packed now. I mean, from (laughs) daylight to, to sundown, uh, just on the go all the time. And, and I think for all of us, we forget to do the things that kind of make us whole. You know, we forget to do the things just because we're so busy that are really important to us. They kind of go by the wayside. And the fact that you put it on your desk and it's something that you're committing yourself to do every single day. I mean, I can reflect and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to this can reflect upon, okay, what's important? Because a lot of times it's weird. A lot of times the things that are important to us are the things that kind of get left behind when we get busy, (laughs) you know, whether it's our jobs or our kids and everything that goes on in the stresses of everyday life. When we got a lot going on, we forget about the things that do make us whole and make us happy and fulfilled and all of that. So I think that's awesome that you're doing that. And on top of that, I think it's awesome that you're teaching your kids to do that because I don't think there's a, an age to start, <laughs> start them young in, in learning that gratitude, learning that appreciation, learning that intention. And that's a life skill that can, uh, I mean, geez, imagine if we did that when we were younger <laughs> and I'm just imagining if I did that every day now, how much better it would be. Dude, I, I think you said something that's really huge here. Cause I know we have a lot of young uh, coaches of young teams on here. Like I do that with, with all of the guys, I started doing the meditation at the end, probably meditation diaphragmatic breathing when I retired. So it's been through, this is year three and the youngest teams I'd work with nine-year-olds. I do it with them. Obviously I have to explain it to them a little differently and kind of hold their hand through it in the beginning. But then at the end, like, I'm just like, you know, guys at the beginning, I'm like, I take this just as seriously as the workout. So like, please no talking. If you talk, I'm going to have to ask you to leave the room. Um, and I really want you to try not to think of anything, calm your mind, focus on your breath, count your breaths. And a lot of coaches, they'll walk in at the end to like check on their team. And they're like, what, how did you do this? How did you get 18, nine-year-olds to lay down and breathe in the dark? (laughs) But like, I I immediately ask them every time, every session, when when I work with kids that young, you know, do you guys feel better? Be honest with me, raise your hand. 90% of the hands go up every single time. So there's not too young of an age. It's just how you, how you, you know, approach them, how you talk to them, telling them the importance, telling them why they're going to do it. It's going to make you a better hockey player Then they automatically want to do it. You know, so there's no, there's no right age. It's, you know, I've done it with as young as nine-year-olds and it's worked and it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And then they can carry that with them. Uh, Imagine learning that at nine and then realizing that it's something that helps and just continuing and continuing, continuing and just breeds. And so I think that's really cool. I wouldn't have been probably uh, my freshman year sitting in my truck behind the rink at Western Michigan when we'd lose every game, grabbing my steering wheel and screaming cuss words for 10 <laughs> minutes because I was so <laughs> mad that we kept losing. <laughs> if I would have learned that earlier. Sorry, I didn't have that problem when I was. Uh, oh, you know, sweet. Go you now, <laughs> big red. I'm scared of a big color. <laughs> a Bronco is way scarier than the color red, okay? Hey. Hey, <laughs> hey, it's big. I digress. It's big. It's big and it's take, a color. I'm going to take what I can get when it comes to anything big. So, <laughs> um, okay. So before we do get over to Jen, I mean, first of all, this was unreal and we'll get your thoughts on it. Um, just such a fantastic conversation. I think it's going to reach our top 10 and downloads. No questions asked. Um, 
just such an awesome, awesome conversation on leadership. Um, but I know the last episode in our intro, I talked about going to the state tournament with our hockey team and how I was so excited to do that and so pumped. And we must have done our intro maybe on a Wednesday because our first game was Friday and got a phone call from a player on our team on Thursday that he tested positive for COVID. And so that meant our team was not allowed to go participate in the state tournament. And it was just the biggest gut punch you could ever imagine. Um, when it comes to, I mean, just what a year, what a year. And we live in a state I'm in New York that has been, very tough on COVID protocols. And it was the good part is we were able to practice all year, um, but we couldn't play games. We weren't allowed to play games until I think it was February maybe. And so it just all in all, it was a tough year for the boys. And we were so jacked. Like we were so excited to go play. Like everything was kind of gelling. We had great practices that week and everything. And then to hear that it was, was really, really difficult, but I'll tell you what, like for as much as it sucks, this year has really shown me how resilient kids can be and how resilient kids are because in my conversations that I've had with some of them, we did a zoom meeting and it was almost like I was more upset than the kids were. And they were like, Hey, you know what? It is what it is. And we got to get through it. We got to move on. And it sucks because this, it was the last time we were going to be together. We're an 18 U team. So everybody's going in their different ways after this year. Some kids probably won't play anymore. Some kids may play club hockey in college. Some are going to go try and slug it out in juniors and try to play college hockey later on. Um, so it was tough, but uh, yeah, just crazy. I know I said I was going to give you an update on how we did. <laughs> the worst update ever I'm so and that sorry, is the man. worst update ever um but honestly like the silver lining is these guys are resilient they're great kids the families were i mean it they were great and i know had this happened in some other places there would have been parents that would have been like well we just won't say that that person tested positive we can still go and not do the right thing but hey we were like hey we got to do the right thing here because there's a chance we can spread this to people there's a chance we can spread this to other players on the team and we actually did have a couple kids that tested positive it wasn't just the one kid uh that came out later um so as much as it sucked um, it was just a cool thing for me to see just how resilient the, the players are, how awesome the families are, and just goes to show you in such a tough year, how lucky I was to be surrounded by awesome people on my team. Yeah, that's, that's an absolute butt clap, man. I'm so sorry. And I feel so bad for the kids. Like you work all year to play for playoffs. You know, that's when it's the most exciting. It's do or die. It's everything's on the line and they didn't get that, but you're right. It's so cool how, they are able to just be like, you know what, like it is what it is. You know, I would have taken that pretty hard, I think. And I wish I, I would be able to be more like, you know, the, those guys and, uh, you know, we're going to do whatever's next. Like we're going to keep going. We're going to, you know, I would have, I would have focused in on that and been pissed off for so long. So good for them. You, yeah. Good coaching then. Good coaching then. Honestly. No, good parenting. No, that's good not parenting. good coaching. That's good parenting. 
And so, um, yeah, I just uh, appreciate all the work that all the kids did all year. We were, I mean, we were ready, man. We were absolutely ready for, for States. And, uh, we were up against some pretty good competition, some pretty tough competition, some really good teams here in New York. Um, but we didn't get the chance to, to be able to compete, uh, against them. We had throughout the year with some of the teams, but, um, would have been nice to kind of see all the work that we did throughout the year come together. But, um, such as life can't win them all. And, uh, it's, it's been an interesting experience. And the other thing I wanted to talk about too was, <laughs> and I was telling you this before, uh, before we got on here, just really, really interesting for all the kids. And I think all the parents too, that are listening to this, who have hopes and dreams and aspirations of playing at a high level of, of hockey. So today I was going through a lot of like my old notes, just kind of going through, especially just kind of reflecting on our, um, our conversation with Jen, where we talked a ton about leadership and, and things like that. And so I was going back, just kind of looking through some things and, and I keep like really meticulous notes about a lot of different stuff, especially when I was coaching at Cornell in college, you know, who I talked to, what the conversations were like, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of my job is recruiting. And so I had notes upon notes upon notes of players and advisors and coaches and things that they would say about their players and, and everything like that. And the first part was pretty cool because you talk like, you know, I'm looking at my notes from when I went and saw Connor McDavid for the first time, when I saw him play as a 15 year old up in Ontario and being like, who the hell is this kid? <laughs> oh my God. He's pretty good. Um, you know, notes. I, I had a conversation over the phone with Austin Matthews, dad way back in the day when he was playing for the Arizona Bobcats midget program. And so it's kind of cool to just kind of go through and see some of that stuff and see the kids that have gone on to make it, but was really telling to me was how many of the kids that I wrote down that never made it, you know, like I would say maybe, 15, no, 10 to 15% of the kids that I had written notes about ended up actually being division one hockey players. And then 1% of those kids ended up going to play in the NHL. And it was just a, a, a huge reminder of how unbelievably hard it is to play at the highest levels of hockey and how hard you need to work because I mean, I'm talking about, I'm watching kids as a college coach all throughout the U S all throughout Canada. It's even extended into Europe. Now there's more college recruiting over in Europe. There are so many kids that are vying for, you know, there's 60 soon to be 61 or 62 division one college teams it's competitive. And if you want to play at that level, you need to get going and start working and developing and getting better. And, um, it's funny because you talk about exposure, 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 and yeah, exposure is important, but I saw probably in my five years that I was a division one recruiter, tens of thousands of kids play hockey. I saw everybody, <laughs> the college coaches, see everybody, the NHL scouts, see everybody, the junior scout, they see like, they see everybody. So again, it goes back to, you have to be a really good hockey player and you have to be committed and you have to sacrifice to make it to the next level. And I'm looking at all of my notes and I'm seeing all of these kids who I have a faint memory of from five to 10 years ago and just how many of them there were. And it's just, it's kind of crazy. You're, I mean, it's so hard. It's so hard. And you have to have 
that level of extreme dedication and you have to be able to sacrifice. And, and I actually read something from Andy Frizzella, the, the CEO of first form big supplement company here in St. Louis. And he said, we need to stop saying sacrifice. We need to start saying investing, Yeah, investing in yourself. And like, you know, sacrifice has a negative connotation to it. Meaning so like when you say that word, you're like, I'm giving up something. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm investing, I'm investing time into myself. I'm investing energy into myself. I'm investing money into myself. I'm not giving up things. I'm investing for a payoff that is going to come later, you know, and whether you quote unquote, make it to the NHL or you don't, all of that investing you're doing into your personal, into yourself is self growth. You're going to become such a better person, such a stronger person, mentally, physically, emotionally, by being able to invest in yourself day after day. I completely believe in that. That's a great point. That's a great point. I do kind of like the sacrifice word. Um, I like it in the fact that it's just, it's true. Like you're going to have to give some stuff up, (laughs) but I do totally see the value when you're investing in one thing, you're investing less time in another thing. So it does put a little bit more of a positive spin into it. And, and I would encourage, you know, the funny thing about this is that, um, the, this process rewards stick to itiveness. This process of playing at a high level rewards stick to itiveness. And that I think is one of the biggest things that came out of me going through a lot of my notes. Because another thing that I recognized was I started looking at the notes, whether it was talking to a coach and what they said about players, whether it was talking to agents or advisors and what they were saying about players or NHL scouts or whatever. And I feel like the kids that really ended up making it had some sort of a note on it about hardworking, blue collar, and just great kid. Those were, those were pretty common staples among the kids. And I had a lot of notes about hope he gets it, hope he finds a way, you know, has the talent, hope he figures it out. And those kids, like very few of them played at the highest levels, you know? So just going back and looking, doing a, a dive into all of the kids that I saw, all of the notes that I had, I mean, all the stuff that we preach and that we talk about here on this podcast, it just epitomized what happens in this process. If you work hard, if you're a good person, if you're a good teammate, if you stick to it, um, chances are in your favor that if you have a goal and a dream that you're going to attain it rather than being the person that says, somebody's saying, I hope they get it at some point, not very competitive, talented, but doesn't work very hard. You know, I mean, it just, it, it, it goes and, and, and just really puts a stamp on all of the stuff that we talk about. So that was really cool to see. Love it, man. That's so cool. It's so telling. It's something else that I, that I've been hearing a lot is, you know, people, almost like shaming people who sacrifice a lot to put all their effort and energy into something. Yeah. Um, I've been hearing a lot of that lately. Like, you know, really? Yeah. Like, you know, and you know, so people talking about people who like overwork themselves and they don't have any like balance or health or anything. And yes, I want a hundred percent, like you have to have family time and me time and, you know, reflection time and stuff like that. But like, if you love something, I don't think there's anything wrong with like going all in as long as it's in a healthy manner, obviously. Right. But, but that's, you know, that goes without saying, but like people like say, Oh, like you shouldn't work so much and you shouldn't do this. And you shouldn't do that. Well, there's no should or shouldn't. And if you want something and you love something, 
I look at it as investing in yourself, investing in your future, investing in all these things. It makes you I happy. Feel like, yeah, and it makes you happy. I feel like so many people can't do that, so they want to shit on the people that do. Very similar to like, you know, back when we played. Like people used to make fun of me for going to the gym all the time. He was make fun of me when I was in my twenties for bringing deli meat to the bar. I was like, I'm not going to miss a meal, you know? And, and for me, it was like, that's what I had to do to have any of the success that I had. But like, it wasn't me. I don't look at it as me sacrifice me, not going to high school parties. Like, no, man, I loved hockey. I wanted to make it a job. I wasn't good enough to not care and not try. And so like it paid off, you know what I mean? And it's, I just see so much of this, like shaming people who are, like dedicated to something and like are so passionate about it. And like, again, when I heard Andy Frazella say investing versus sacrificing, I was like, that just makes sense. That, that phrase to me. Yeah. And it goes back to, and it, the, the quote has gone around on social media a couple times, but I watched one of the inside access shows that we talk about loving all the time. It was on Alabama football and Nick Saban sat down with Kobe Bryant. He brought Kobe Bryant in to, to talk to his team. And one of the things that he said was everybody wants to be the bear, but not everybody is willing to do what you need to do to be the bear or something to that effect. Right. So like everybody wants to be the hardest worker. Everybody wants to be the hardest worker, but not everybody is willing to invest the time into being the hardest worker. That's really, really hard. So there's two ways that you can be the hardest worker. One is you see who's the hardest worker and you try to outwork that person. The other thing is you see that hardest worker and you try to bring that hardest worker down by making fun of them or giving them crap or calling them a Johnny Tryhard, Johnny Gohard, whatever. So they're like, ah, I just kind of, I'd rather fit in. So I'm not going to work as hard. So now they're both at an even keel again. So, um, I think the quote was everybody wants to be the beast, but nobody wants to do the, you know, do the work necessary to be the beast or something to that effect. And it just, it's so true. It's so true. And if you're one of those kids out there, because it happens when you're younger, right? Like a lot of kids do this and I don't think they mean much by them. Some probably do, but some probably don't, but there are a lot of kids that are in locker rooms that make fun of the kids who are really serious or make fun of the kids that work really hard. And if you're one of those kids, you should probably, if you're listening to this right now, take a step back and think about what you're doing. Take a step back and think about how you're making that kid feel because that kid's driven. That kid's going somewhere. That kid has something inside of them that they love or an inner desire and inner drive to, to, to kind of make something of themselves. Do you want to really bring like detract that from somebody? And maybe you can learn from those kids and say, well, I see that kid getting better. Maybe I need to up my game a little bit, but it's easy to bring, it's much easier to bring somebody else down than it is to work harder. Yeah. I'd say shut your trap and do what that kid does. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I want to go places. You want to go places too. shut your mouth and start competing with them. Don't even worry about anybody else. Compete with that hardest worker, that best player. That's who you want to be. That's who you want to beat you know, and then you beat yourself and you get better every day. Like hundred percent. I'm all in on that. Absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, transitioning this to Jen. I mean, that's just a huge, huge recipe for a great leader. Somebody that models the way is, is a really hard worker and, and cares about other people. And this, like, honestly, this podcast was a legitimate masterclass on leadership in my opinion. 
And I've known Jen for probably about a decade or so now. And I honestly don't know if there's anybody that gets leadership as much as she does. She just has such a focus on it and she puts it in such a great perspective. And the Big Red Leadership Institute, which she instituted at Cornell for the athletes, um, I was a part of when I was a coach. And then when I left coaching, I was like, I still want to be involved in this. This is unbelievable. And it just, it helps the kids understand what leadership is, what kind of leader they are and can be, and then puts them through real life scenarios and situations where, okay, in this situation, how can you bring your best authentic self to be a leader for this team in this situation? And it's, oh my God, complete masterclass in it. Uh, I know you just met her for the first time here, but I, I, this was one of my favorite conversations that we've done. I mean, too, yeah, unbelievable. And to listen to, it was so funny during the podcast and you guys will hear it. Toph's like, wait, you did that too? Wait, you were this too? You were that? <laughs> She's and it's done like, everything. <laughs> I, think, I think that also makes you a good leader because you have wisdom on, uh, you know, you have knowledge on so many things from your experiences, which makes you a leader. And she talks about all the things that make up a leader um, throughout the podcast. And, you know, it's, so funny that we we see where she's at now and then to hear oh well I was at too oh and I did this too oh and I did this too just constantly in these leadership positions and different roles different jobs different fields and that's all why she has the experience that she has and is able to then teach other people how to be good leaders and how to be good followers yeah no question absolutely no question so you guys are going to absolutely love this um, obviously we want to thank Jen for her service. You know, she spent some time in the Navy as, as a pilot and, and running the facilities there. Um, I, I think this is going to be one of our best for sure. And so we're really excited to get over to her before we do. We want to thank everybody that supports our podcast, starting with icehockeysystems.com and for our drill today, simple, simple drill. Um, but I really enjoy this drill. It's a three on three that goes into a five on five. And so you have a three on three inside the zone underneath the top of the circle. So three offensive players, three defensive players. And then at the top of the circles, you have two players that are the same color as the defensive players. And then at the blue line, you have two defensemen that are the same color as the guys who are on offense in the three on three. So it's a three on three inside the zone underneath the top of the circles. You can let it play out for five, 10 seconds, nothing crazy. Then the coach blows a whistle. The two players, one of them has a puck at the top of the circles. They're going down the ice the other way on the two defensemen and the three offensive players. Now you got to track back and back check and try to make it into a five on five. The three defensive players who were going in that three on three, they're jumping up in the play and to make it a five on five rush as well. So uh, it's a really good drill, obviously doing some down low play to start, but that's not the whole point of the drill. And when it goes into the five on five, now you're working on your rush play. You're working on zone entry or stopping a zone entry. You're working on sorting it out because the people who are back checking are going to be in different areas of the ice. So maybe the first guy back isn't necessarily the center. Maybe it's a winger and you got to talk, Hey, I'm going down low. And so I love this drill, any drill where there's an aspect of zone entry or denying his own entry in any drill where there has to be some sort of sorting it out on the back check, uh, I think is so relevant and so good for any team. So simple, simple drill. I uh, hope you can use it with your teams today. I love this drill, man. This is one of my favorite drills. Like, I love this drill because either either if you're the starting the team down low three on three and you're on the offensive side, you're, you're getting a play offense. Or if you're on the other side 
whistle blows and now you get to go play offense and then it turns into a five on five and in pro hockey and in college hockey, uh, probably in junior hockey too, if we did this one, which I, I can't remember if we did or not, we'd also add progressions to it where then after the, you know, you go down the ice after the first rush, uh, the coach would spot a puck out of the neutral zone, blow the whistle, sprint out into the neutral zone. And now everybody's got to go into neutral zone uh, coverage or forecheck, you know, whatever it is. And then maybe throw another puck and just kind of go like back and forth, trying to make it as game-like as possible. So everybody's kind of not just in a static position to start kind of like Belfry talked about. Um, so I really like adding that progression to it as well. Progression. Almost every episode, there is a progression from a Jeffrey Lovecchio. <laughs> Regressions and regressions. Baby. <laughs> I like it. Uh, we also want to thank Gel Sticks, our title sponsor, G E L S T X dot com. Go to gelsticks.com for your weighted training sticks. And it's uh, it's time where the weather's getting nice. Head out outside. Um, I know a lot of people have some nets and stuff set up outside. So grab your gel sticks today. Use the coupon code Think Tank one word to get a discount and uh these these things are awesome i mean these first of all gel six has been with us this entire time that we've been doing this since we started doing some ad stuff um but we really believe in their product we believe in their leadership team and so get your gel sticks today and then train heroic uh interesting that we have jen who is a veteran of the military on our podcast today because Vex, you just rolled out a nice little discount on your train with me for uh, first responders and military members. Yeah. You know, I, I'm pretty sure I've said it on the podcast before, but anytime I see police officers, firefighters, um, veterans, something like an older person is like a grandpa looking person's wearing like a Vietnam hat and I'm out to eat or, or I see people in uniform. I always try and stop and shake their hand and say, thank you for your service. Um, you know, whether I believe in wars or not or whatever, like that, that's inconsequential. They're, they're good people. They're doing, they're protecting their country. Um, they're putting their lives on the line for everyone else. And I feel like they are not treated with the respect that they deserve. Uh, so I went to the founder of train heroic, my buddy, Josh, who, uh, started the app. And I said, Hey, like, I've always wanted to help these people out as much as I can. I'm going to start doing some free in my gym on the weekends when I'm in town training sessions for veterans, firefighters, police officers, stuff like that. I was like, I want to help more people than just that. Is there some kind of way I can do a discount? So he showed me how to do that. So, um, anyone who is a, uh, current military veteran, firefighter, police officer, EMTs, doctors, nurses, and then teachers too. Cause I, you know, I just feel like they're, they don't get enough respect either and they should be paid way better than they are shaping the next generation and they get paid like crap. Doesn't make sense to me. So anyone, them or their family or children, anyone who wants to use any of my online training, um, that's a first responder, a teacher, uh, DM me on Twitter, Instagram at Jeff Lavecchio, and I'll send you a 50% off code that is good for life. I will never turn this code off. So you could use my train with me team year round for the next 10 years. You will pay 50% the whole time you use it. You could do it one month, multiple months. It doesn't matter. You will always have this code for you, your spouse and your children, um, whether they're hockey players or they just want to do the train with me or the hot moms workout, any of my online stuff. Uh, I just, want to uh, say thank you and, and try and show my, show my respect for you guys. Jeffrey Lovecchio, man of the people. I love it. Awesome stuff, man. I love the fact that you're doing that. Um, so with that, um, let's bring on an awesome, awesome person in Jen Baker. 
this conversation on leadership is going to blow your mind. It did with us. And uh, without further ado, let's head on over to Jen Baker. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast. She is the athletic director at Johns Hopkins University right now. Jen Baker. Jen, how are you doing today? I am fired up to be on this podcast. Um, super excited to be here. Having a great day. It's Monday, right? <laughs> Making the best of a Monday, but there is no other way I'd want to end it. So um, fired up. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited for this. It's, it's been a while since we've talked some leadership and, and I've learned so much from you in my days working together at Cornell. And, and uh, yeah, I guess we just freaking dive right in right now. And, and Jen, like, one of the things that you used to talk about and one of the things I think is like so interesting when it comes to leadership is using your own personal experiences to kind of guide you through the process of learning and growing. And for you, like you've had so many just incredible life experiences and I'm sure so many awesome people to learn from, whether it was playing uh, lacrosse, whether it was being in the Navy, going through some of your programs, being in the corporate world, if that's when you want to call it at, at Under Armour. And, and I'm just wondering, like, did you take something from each of those places to kind of help you shape who you wanted to be as a leader now that you're kind of at the top of leading uh, a, a big university when it comes to sports? Yeah, I mean, without question, right? And it's funny because the way you just framed that, it makes it sound like like I've I've finished and I've developed as a leader. And I think I would start off by saying that like I'm still growing as a leader, right? So I am who I am today is who I am today, and that is a reflection of the experiences I've had. But um, hopefully, I've got a lot more experiences left in front of me, and I expect that you know, 20 years from now, who I am as a leader will look even more different. Um, I learned early on, so I went to the Naval Academy for undergrad and, you know, that place, it, they preach leadership to you, right? Like they have an entire academic building that's just dedicated to leadership. So you're constantly hearing about it. And literally my first summer there, um, the upper class who, you know, in so many ways are there to torment you and make your life hell, um, also have some wisdom to impart, shocker. Um, and they talked about this concept of like a leadership bag, right? And you have, and in the Navy, we have sea bags, which is like what you're supposed to pack all your stuff in when you go on deployment and whatnot. But so you had your two leadership sea bags. You had your one where it's all the things you saw and exp were exposed to, the things you really liked, you put it in the good leadership bag. And the things that you didn't like or didn't think were, were effective um, went in the bad, quote unquote, bad leadership bag, right? And you carry those two sea bags with you at all times. And you, and it was a good it's a good way to introduce an 18 year old to how to kind of reflect and think about how they wanted to learn. Right. Um, and so I think I've done that through all the course of my experiences I've been exposed to. And I, at this point, hesitate to say good or bad. Um, but I would frame it as like effective and ineffective leadership. Right. So I've been exposed to a lot of really effective leadership and been really grateful for that. And I've been exposed to frankly, a lot of very ineffective leadership. Um, and I think you learn, you learn as much from one as you do from the other. And then it's on you to kind of bring all those experiences together and think about what it means for you and how you can make it authentic for how you want to lead others, right? So just because I've seen things go really well, like case in point, like if you if you ever had a team captain or a coach or somebody along those lines who, you know, gives you that incredibly motivating speech, right? And you're like so fired up for them and, and by them, you might not be the kind of person that that's a good fit for 
So just because that's really effective doesn't mean you're necessarily going to try that on and, and do it for yourself. So I think, you know, the experience is one thing, but then figuring out how the what the experience means to you and how you want to move it forward in your life and in your own leadership style is the next piece of that. And that is a lifelong process in terms of reflection and, and frankly, knowing yourself and continuing to get to know yourself over the course of your life. So um, we could haggle out specific examples <laughs> from each of the places I've worked. But what I can tell you about all of those things is like, I mean, I've had a very sort of non-linear life, right? In terms of professional experiences. And from that, I would say the one common denominator is leadership, right? The most successful organizations I've been a part of have all been led by strong leaders. And the most unsuccessful organizations I've been a part of have had the opposite. Um, and that's very intuitive, but this is what I preach to athletes all the time is that leadership makes the difference. Right. If there's one thing I know, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how hardworking you are, leadership makes the difference. And so it's incumbent upon us to really figure out what that means for us as individuals and what it means for us as a collective as part of something bigger and think about how we're going to use that to make ourselves great. There's a lot to unpack there, Jen. My memory is <laughs> not what it used to be now that I'm 35. Um, but I love that idea of the good bag and, and the, you know, the bad bag. Like I've, I've never heard of that before And that. I'm a big fan of breaking things down into very simplistic terms so that anyone can understand and understand quickly. And that right there is like definitely something that I'm personally going to use. So thank you for that. And, and I just wanted to give an example. Uh, uh, you talking about, well, you see some good leaders and maybe it works for them, but then you try and it doesn't work for you. And I know Toph has talked about this on the podcast quite a bit. And, and, you know, this podcast for a lot of hockey coaches, hockey players. Toph said, you know, as a leader, as a player, sometimes when he was a captain his senior year, maybe he was a little bit more of a hard ass to the younger guys. When that's not really Toph. Toph is the most loving, genuine, you know, just unbelievable human ever caring. And him being tr trying to be a different leadership style, it, it didn't really work for him in his own words is what he said. Maybe he could have been more effective, more efficient in another way. Are there any other examples that you can think of? Because um, I think this is one that a lot of coaches could, could uh, learn from. So many coaches I played for, you know, they, they see a coach do something one way and it worked for that guy. So then they try and do that, but that's not their authentic self. And then nobody believes in it. Yeah, I mean, you've... <laughs> The example you've illustrated is really sort of the classic example I see in sport um, and something I talk to our team captains about, which is like, we've all been on a team, I think, where, you know, somebody becomes the elected team captain in their senior year and all of a sudden, like, they're doing things that they never did for their first three years because somehow in their minds, they're like, oh, I'm the captain now, I'm supposed to do X, Y, or Z. And what that does is create a disconnect with all the people who put you in that position because they they put you in the position for who they knew you to be for those first three years, right? So let's assume that this is a model where the, the a senior becomes a captain. And so they don't want you to change. They elected you for who you are. And so in that moment where you try to do things and, and where I see it a lot is like, all of a sudden they're trying to be hard asses. They alienate themselves from teammates, right? And I think this, this, this is like at the forefront of sort of the bigger issue for thinking about how we develop leaders in general, because there is this expectation, or I think there at least was a long held belief that like, you just become a leader, right? You just watch everybody else and you just become a leader. And the problem with that is that the people you're watching are not you, 
So all you're seeing is what works for them and what doesn't, but you don't really understand what works for you. And so I think in those moments, that's where it really is predicated upon self-awareness, understanding who you are, what you value, how you want to interact with your teammates. And from that place, taking something like, if you need to hold somebody accountable, that can look any number of ways, right? And I think so many people, it's it, that's what I see athletes fear the most in that kind of role is like, I have to hold, I have to call somebody out. That feels scary to me, right? That's confrontational. I want them to like me. We all want to be liked, but there's a way to hold somebody accountable that's not confrontational. That can be very authentic for individuals, but we have to expose them to that. Um, and they have to understand that when they operate in that space that is outside of what their teammates know, then they're gonna create a disconnect there and they're gonna undermine trust. Um, and so much of that is built on, and this is something else I talked to them about, like you're being watched every single day, right? Like your teammates are watching everything you do and they're forming this idea of kind of what is authentic for you. So the minute you operate outside that zone, it's a red flag for them. And you gather enough red flags, you're never gonna have influence with your teammates because they're not gonna trust you. They want you to be you. Um, and they observe it when you don't even realize they're observing it. Um, and you're creating an expectation for them. So it's really important for leaders to operate sort of within the confines of, of who they are as people um, and what really actually is authentic for them. Tough, though. When you talk about ages, like that's really tough for 18 to 22 year olds. It's even tougher for high school kids, right? Or, or younger than that, because they are such a work in progress. They don't really have a good handle on that. Um, and I think that's another area where coaches in particular can be helpful stewards to helping them sort of uncover what that is for themselves with the understanding that it's not static. It's always evolving. Yeah, totally. And and one of the other things that kind of goes along with this that in the Big Red Leadership Institute we talked about a lot was like being a teammate isn't just what you do on the field or at the rink for the two to three hours that you're with each other as a team. Like you are a teammate 24 seven, especially when you're in college, you're eating lunch and dinners together and you're going to class together and you're doing all of these things. So like what you're doing is, yeah, people are, I don't want to say judging you, but like if you are going out of your way to be different or be unauthentic or try to impress or whatever, then people can see right through that. And I think that's for teammates and also for, for leaders and coaches too. I just think the more that we understand that like what we do on an everyday basis and not even necessarily just in the time that we're together, if you're a sports team or if you're a business, the, the nine to five that we're at the office, um, it just, it, it was such a good, and I, I remember like watching the students faces all the college students as we talked about this and they were like wow that makes a lot of sense because you can lose respect as a leader at two o'clock in the morning on a saturday night <laughs> it has happened and it sadly will continue to happen yeah and you can lose respect as a leader being late to a class or not working hard on a project when you have teammates that are relying on you to do something academically. And so being a leader, it's something, it's like an all in thing. It's not something when we talk about it, how you do anything is how you do everything. And so I just think that's such a valuable lesson for, for kids is, is 
if you want to be a captain on your team, if that's important to you, it's not just about what you do at the rink. It's about who you are. It's about being you, being the best version of you all the time. And that's difficult. That's really, really difficult. And especially in today's day and age when kids feel like they're being judged all the time and they just want to fit in and, and all of that kind of stuff. It's tough. Yeah. Being a leader is, is who you are. It's not something you do. Um, and it, you know, there's not a switch. Okay. Practice starts in a half an hour. Now I'm a leader. Okay. Just got off the ice. Now I'm not anymore. It just doesn't work that way, which we know, but it's again, when you consider the age group, you know, that is participating in sport, you know, by and large that we have to teach it to them. It's not something they're going to know intuitively. Well, Jen, let me ask you a quick question because you said something like very quickly and you said it like twice in there. You said, when I talk to our captains, you as the athletic director, do you have meetings with like captains of the different teams and stuff? So, um, sort of, um, so me as the athletic director, sort of philosophically, it's the most important thing to me is that I have a relationship with all of my student athletes. So I am not an AD that sits in a corner office. Like they call me by my first name. I know who they are by their first name. You know, we have casual conversations back when we could be in a building together, but in, in all of the time, since I've become AD, like I make it a point to meet with all of the team captains, team by team throughout the year, um, just to check in with them, just to get feedback and just to make sure that I am visible to them and I am accessible to them. But above and beyond that, um, we have similar to what we did at Cornell with Big Red Leadership. Um, we have a leadership program at Hopkins that is grouped out by cohorts. Um, and we do have a cohort that's just all of our team captains. So from time to, originally when I first started at Hopkins, I was in every single team captains meeting um, now I will join that. I have other folks who facilitate those sessions, um, so they're coaches actually. Um, so I will join them when I can. Um, but yeah, I do make it a point to meet with our team captains and to check in with them and make sure that they feel like they can talk to me about stuff. It's awesome, Vex. So we did similar something at Cornell. And, and I honestly think, you know, you talk about having relationships with your athletes, like as coaches, the best and one of our most important jobs is developing leaders and developing people that can go out and, and lead and not even necessarily just um, in our sports setting at their team at Cornell or at Johns Hopkins. But these people are going to go out and lead in businesses. These people are going to be parents. These people are going to be aunts and uncles and all these kinds of things for so much longer. And it's just, I honestly feel like it is the most undervalued and most underappreciated part of sports, especially college sports, is developing leaders. Because as you said earlier, that's what makes, that's what stirs the drink. I mean, I've never been on a successful team that didn't have great leadership. Not just the people that wear the C's or wear the A's, but the people underneath them and underneath them and in each class and rookies, like, every, like just all the way up. So why, okay, so here's a question. Why don't, if that is so important, and this is something that I talk to coaches about all the time when I'm doing my team building or I'm going to speak at different schools. Okay, I ask, how important is your player leadership to what you're doing? Oh my God, it's one of the most important things. Okay, well, how much time do you invest in that in actually developing your leaders? Give me your leadership curriculum. Give me what you do on a day-to-day -day basis to be able to do that. And they kind of look at me like, well, we don't, we don't really do that. So Jen developed this bigger leadership, which she's doing at John Hopkins right now, which is basically doing that job. And honestly, it is insane how many coaches still 
They think it's so important, but they aren't willing to invest the time into it. And it blows my mind. I left coaching at Cornell and I came back for three years because I'm like, this is so important. I still want to be a part of it. And it just, it blows my mind that more people don't want to do it. But Jen, would you agree that it's honestly the most important thing is the player leadership in that room, but it is the thing that is the least developed by the leaders of these institutions and teams. Sadly, yes. And I had to laugh because when you just highlighted what you ask people, so when I would be in a position to interview people, and it's still now, right? But even at Cornell, like as an underling, when I would participate in searches or whatnot for coaches, like, okay, so they interview with me. So I'm the leadership person, right? So like, let's let's be honest. What do you think I'm going to ask you about, right? It's clear. So I would say like, how important is leadership on your team? You know, how important is leadership to the success of the team? Oh, it's the most important thing, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, talk to me about how you're developing your leaders. And it was like, they had nothing except, and I will say this, I will, I will not reveal the name, um, but uh, there was one coaching search that I was on um, and he was like, you know, I'm so glad you asked that. Boom, he pulls out this paper. He had the whole thing outlined and um, he has been a very successful coach there. So uh, very cool. Yeah, it, but right away I was like, "Yep, you're the guy." For my money, right? Like I don't know what X's and O's, you know. I don't care, frankly. Um, but it was he had a thoughtful plan for how he develops leaders, and I'm of the mindset that leadership will trump talent any day, right? And if you look at like look at the most talented teams out there. You know, like, and I, I always talk about this, like if you have the number one recruiting class, does that guarantee you anything? Absolutely not, right? Like you have to continue to develop that skill. But even when you look at the national championship level, you know, like the best of the best teams, like do, are both teams talented? Yes. Do both teams work hard? Yes. Do both teams, you know, do all the other little things that you're supposed to do? Yes. But do both teams have leaders top to bottom? Usually not. And a lot of times that makes a huge difference. When you look at some of the schools that have been dynasties in their respective sports and you start to pick apart how they build leaders and culture, you start to see that they look different than a lot of other schools do. So I can't, in terms of why it's not focused on more, I think it's twofold. One, I don't think there's a coach out there who would disagree that leadership is important, right? And and that they value it. Um, I think, and you know, from coaching, like there's a whole lot of stuff coaches have to do. And so it tends to fall by the wayside because of all the other stuff that feels more pressing in the moment. And I also think there's an expectation that kids will just figure it out. And that is where I think we do ourselves the greatest disservice, right? So if we operate under the premise that leadership is a skill that needs to be developed like any other skill, you wouldn't throw a guy out there in a national championship hockey game without having developed specific skills with him, correct? But we'll do it. And we just expect that they're going to learn it from the guys that they were watching go before them. And sometimes you get some kids who get it right. But why would we not stack the deck in our favor there by developing them? Right? Like, why would we not do that? We we invest in strength and conditioning. Why? We're stacking the deck in our favor there. Right? Like, there's so much that we do that's about stacking the deck that we miss when it comes to leadership. And that's the part that kills me. Um, so I'm glad you have put into place, you know, at Cornell and at Hopkins programs that help to supplement that. But I also think that like kids coming to a program, however many times a year, doesn't change the coach's need to reinforce it day in and day out, because that's, that's where they practice it, right? So if it's a skill, 
then they have to practice it. And sometimes they're going to get it right. And sometimes they're not going to get it right. But the coach then has to provide that feedback to them so that they can continue to improve on it. Right. And so that's where I think, you know, the bulk of the leadership work needs to be focused is not making the assumption that kids are just going to learn it and providing them the framework through which to learn it. And that can look, it doesn't need to be complicated. It really doesn't need to be complicated, but it can look a lot of different ways. And for those coaches who make the time and investment to put together that framework, I think it's good. The ROI on that will far surpass any recruiting ROI you would get from talent alone. I love that. I absolutely love that. And yeah, a, a framework for Cornell hockey might be different than a framework for Johns Hopkins lacrosse yep. or ripped hockey down in beautiful St. Louis, which is also a team as well. But yeah, it, it kind of goes back to, you know, being your authentic identity as a team of who you want to be as a program. And one of my biggest uh, learning experiences is when I started doing my team building and the first two teams that I went to are two division three hockey powerhouses in Utica college and Oswego state. And both are, you know, they've always been for a long time, just powerhouses and they've won. And I walk into Utica and it's, it's a certain way, you know, guys, it's much more lax guys have backwards hats on, you know, they're much more kind of like chatty and, you know, just kind of getting to know you and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, they win all the time. And then I go up to Oswego state and everybody's got khakis on everybody's got a polo everybody showed up at the exact same time no hats like very much more business-like and they win all the time and their two head coaches who have been great division three head coaches for a long time are completely different and i just remember walking out of the second one and being like wow this is inc- this is two completely different cultures, two completely different head coaches that do things completely different ways, different kids on the team. They talked about different things and team building, what was important to them, what wasn't important to them and everything, but they both are legendary programs. And it was just such an awesome lesson for me to learn that I hope other people learn too, because I think a lot of the time, especially as young coaches, we learn the hard way that when you're trying to be somebody that you're not, <laughs> you're going to get tuned out pretty, pretty quickly. And so just that, that it's, and it's funny, you talked about uh, self-awareness before. I feel like I have heard that term more in the last three months during podcasts and reading books. And I just feel like that is such an important topic. So when you talk about self-awareness, is that something you talk a lot about with the leaders, just really trying to figure, and how do you do that? Like, how do you really figure out who you want to be as a leader? Because I I would imagine a lot of it has to do with just freaking trial and error and just doing things and messing up and and figuring out it on the fly. But like, how can leaders really reflect on who they are as a person and take that with them to be their best self as a leader of their team? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think, you know, if you want to be an authentic leader, right, just to be authentic in anything, you have to understand what authentic is for you, which means you have to have a good understanding of self to start out with. Um, Anytime I, you know, have worked with teams or worked with departments or whatever it is, um, in terms of leader development, the first place we start is self-awareness, right? Like let's, let's put a stake in the ground about who you are as a person and then build around that. Um, I think that starts with core values. So what you fundamentally value as a person and your core values do not need to match what your team, you know, most teams have a set of values that defines who they are. 
your core values are unique to you. And I think they need to nest within that, those team values, right? Um, they have to be in alignment with or compatible with, but they don't have to match exactly. So there's a simple exercise that I'll take people through, which is like a real basic core values discovery exercise. Um, it's hard to describe, I guess, over podcast, but if any of your listeners want it, like literally email me and I'll send it to them. It could not be easier. It takes about 20 minutes to do, um, but it gives you a starting place for thinking about kind of what those values are. And again, I, I caveat this by saying we're working with young people by and large. So values are sort of, you know, we're, they're being molded as they grow. So what they are, you know, in high school may look a little different than what they are in college, but it's no less valuable in exercise. Um, so let's identify the core values and then let's put them into context because values, and this is where I tell them, you know, you're being watched all the time. Like you have, if I say my value is family, you should be able to tell me something that you do every single day that proves that that's true, right? Because values come out in your actions, not in your words. And your teammates are watching your actions. And so that's how they're forming this impression of what is authentic to you, right? So if you tell me, I call home every single day to talk to my mom and dad, like I buy it. I buy that family is a value, right? And so um, working through that and then talking about what they do every day with their team that their teammates would observe that proves the same thing because that starts to give them sort of that understanding of who they are in their teammates' eyes. So that's one piece. I think values are really important. Personality strengths, I think are another thing that's important to understand, right? We're all wired a little bit differently. Every team has this incredible diversity of personalities on it, right? And there is room and space for all of them, um, but it's very valuable to sort of anchor yourself and figure out kind of where, where am I and kind of plot out your teammates. Where are they? Because if we're going to be an effective leader, we have to meet teammates where they are. We can't force them to be like us. Um, the exercise I use for that is the DISC. There's tons of them out there. Like you can do a Myers-Briggs, you can do a DISC. There's a the Kiersey personality sorter. There's so many out there. Just Google it. There's all kinds of free versions online. Um, but that gives you a good example of, okay, these are my values. These are where my personality is strong. And like case in point on the DISC assessment, um, I'm a strong like dominant personality type, meaning like I'm the person who wants to get stuff done when I get into a group. You know, I don't like a lot of chit chat, like if we have something to do, let's go put our heads down, grind it out, get it done. Right. But then on the polar opposite of that, we have like the I personality type, which really wants to talk and socialize the whole time. And when we get things done, we'll get things done. Right. So um, just helping them orient themselves a little bit. So you have personalities and strengths. I think that's really those are two key things or personality strengths and values. And then I would layer on their own personal experiences to that. Right. And you alluded to that earlier. Like I've torn my ACL three times. I get what it's like to be an injured athlete that loses a season. So that would be something unique I could bring to my team. Um, you know, you may have some folks on your team who grew up in a foreign country or who don't speak English as a first language. You may have some that grew up in a family of nine and some who grew up, you know, as an only child. Like all of those things help to shape us and then orient us to kind of who we're going to be authentically in a leadership capacity. So those are kind of the places I would start. Self-awareness is a lifelong journey. So I'm like, we check those boxes. We're good. I know exactly who I am now. Let's go. Um, doesn't quite work that way, but at least it gives them sort of like a, a home base, if you will. Yeah, for sure. And and one of the other things you talk about that relates to this a lot too, in in finding your your ness, as Jeff likes to call it, your name plus ness. <laughs> and that's and that's followership. 
And I know that's something that's really important to you that it's, you know, we're talking a lot about leadership, but in order to lead, you have to kind of learn how to follow first. And, and so why do you think that's so important and what kind of steps do you think kids can take or not even maybe necessarily kids, but people who want to be leaders, what kind of steps can they take to really apply that followership so they can learn as they go? Yeah, great question. Um, and something I think that is not talked about nearly enough. Right. So in my mind, like leadership is a continuum. There's no such thing as being 100 percent a leader all the time. Um, I mean, you could even look at like the highest levels of government, right? Like there's no such thing as, as being hundred percent a leader all the time. So I think leadership and followership are two sides of the same coin. Um, and the wise leader is one who understands that they are constantly swinging back and forth kind of along that spectrum in terms of right now I'm following and I'm letting somebody else lead. And then right now I'm leading and I'm needing others to follow me. Um, the most effective teams by far have a shared leadership model. So for everybody who puts so much stock in team captains, I'm not a big believer in that at all. I think if you have good team captains, that's great. That's a start. But if you don't have leaders at every echelon of your organization and you don't have leaders at the top who are confident in themselves enough to share that leadership down the chain and follow, then I think your organization is not going to be effective or, or successful in that regard. And so when you think about followership has this like oddly bad connotation, right? Um, everybody's told you should be a leader. You should want to be a leader, but nobody's told like, go out and be a good follower today, right? Like somehow that makes us feel less than. The problem with that is that it's not giving credit. Like the leader only succeeds when the followers are all in, right? So if you don't have strong followers underneath of you, good luck. You can't lead in a vacuum. You can't lead by yourself on an island and get an organization to point in that direction. So the success of an organization is predicated upon really bought in like committed followers and that actually understanding that your role as a follower creates the success of an organization, I think is a huge revelation. Um, and there's a, there's a great, um, Ted talk. It's a minute and a half long. Derek Sivers, S I V E R S called how to start a movement. It's a wonderful, like visual, simple illustration of this. And it starts with what, what he calls the one lone nut. So it's like at a music festival, right? And you see this one guy who decides he's gonna get up on the hill and start dancing by himself, right? And everybody's like, ooh, I don't know, that's, that's weird, right? And he's the leader, right? He's the leader in that moment. And then one guy gets up and starts dancing with him. That's his first follower. The first follower makes it okay for everybody else to follow. And of course, by the end of it, you see that this entire group is just like losing their minds, dancing on this hillside. And it's not because of the one guy. He took the first step. He was the courageous out in front leader, but it's because of the followers and specifically that first follower. And so the importance for leaders to nurture those followers that come underneath of them and empower them and to share that limelight, to share that power, to share whatever it is that they need to, the followers are the ones who create the organization. Leaders don't exist if they don't have followers. So you have to really be in a symbiotic relationship there and recognize that, you know, right now I'm, I'm the AD at Johns Hopkins. I follow more than I lead on a daily basis and I'm glad to do it um, because I purposely have great teammates that I trust and I want them to take the lead on stuff. And then there are moments where only the AD can do it. And so in those moments, that's where I step up and I do it. Same thing on a team. So I think there's a there's this almost unhealthy deference to captains. And I think captains play a role and they're important, but if you don't have leaders top to bottom and you don't have followers top to bottom, 
you're not you're not helping yourself. I love the uh, dancing reference because I use that at weddings all the time. First, <laughs> first guy out on the dance floor, then I let some other people have the spotlight, get it going. And go. I'm back in the middle, baby. There you go. Listen, the electric slide, that's a, that's an important one, you know? Believe it. You could shuffle all of them. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like our family is like that, Vex. I think people would expect that out of you that listen to us. I don't know if they would necessarily expect that out of me, but I, I, I like to be that person on the there. dance floor. We you get out there. The oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Well, Jen, one of the things that you said um, that I feel like is very hard for a lot of people that have the strong dominant leadership type of style, and you talked about empowering others to be leaders. Mm -hmm. And I read a lot about leadership and I love to read uh, coaches that have done amazing things in professional and college sports. I'd love to read about entrepreneurs that built these big companies. And it almost feels like there's an arc that's very similar for almost all of them. And that is when they started out, they were workers and they were workers. And that's the reason why they were great. They got the job done. They did a great job. They worked their butt off and that helped them to ascend to these great positions. But then they got to that position because they were the workers and they kind of were directing other people and they, you know, they had to do everything themselves and they kind of micromanaged and had to do everything their way. And it worked for a long time that way. So they can continue to do it. And then at some point, pretty much every one of these amazing leaders realized that they couldn't do it themselves and they were burnt out and they needed to delegate more and they they understood even more the importance of hiring the right people around them and i just feel like it's this leadership arc that so many people have to learn and usually you learn it too late <laughs> when you're already burnt out so is that something that you've seen in your leadership studies that you've done and how can we help to empower the people underneath us aside from hiring the best people and letting them do it <laughs> yeah um I think that's, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, I burned out hardcore as a leader from trying to do too much at every, I would say at every level of my career and burnout will force you to take a step back and figure some things out. And I remember when I first took on the AD role, um, my, I said, I sort of jokingly said, like, I'm going to have to figure out how to delegate. And my boss said, don't worry, this job's going to force you to. Um, and she did not lie about that. Um, so I, I'm a big believer in that a leader's role is to develop other leaders, um, right? There are some things that only that leader can do, right? There are some things that only an AD can do in my organization, right? And so I try to focus on just those things and everything else I try to allow other people in my organization to do for two reasons. One, because it allows me to focus on the things that I have to do and need to do really well. Um, so it frees up my bandwidth there, but two, because it develops them. And I think the strongest organizations, as I've said, have leaders top to bottom. And so we as leaders at the top need to think about how we are growing and developing the leaders below us. Um, case in point. So we have a leadership program at Hopkins for our student athletes. We created a cohort just for our assistant coaches to help prepare them to become head coaches. Um, and it's one of the things I'm most geeked about that we've done um, particularly during COVID, we really took advantage of the opportunity to do it during COVID, but it's everything you need to know to lead at the head coach level 
that we're trying to teach them now and then give them an opportunity to work with their head coaches on in practice, right? So that's one of the areas that I feel like I have responsibility is to develop that next level of leadership. To, the, to my staff that directly reports to me, I try to do, they stuff and I try to give them a full ownership of it and follow, right? So that's the other thing I try to model a lot is just the following them. Yeah, I get it. You're just learning how to do this. You're one of my new assistant ADs. You're in charge of this. Tell me what we're doing. Um, and it's, I think the hardest thing for me is to fight the urge to tell them what to do because I already know where I want it to go and, or I know, like, I see the problem looming and I know they're headed straight for it. Try to take a deep breath, keep my mouth shut, let them wrestle with it and just be a supportive follower, um, as they work through it. And, um, and so I think that's the other piece of it. So I, I don't know that there's a, a magic answer to it. And I think to your point, Toph, like, Everybody sort of follows the same arc, but when you get there, when you see it coming, be mindful of the leaders you've developed that come behind you, right? So put it in an athletic team context, right? You have a team in a given year that had really strong captains, and then those captains graduated. And then a lot of times there's a leadership vacuum behind them because people get so comfortable with having really strong leaders at the top that they don't have to develop themselves because those guys are just going to do it for me, Right. Um, and that's one of the things that I always like, I talk to coaches about in terms of like, you might feel really good about your senior leaders. Who do you have coming up in the ranks? Cause your seniors are only going to be with you another year and then they're gone. Right. And when you have those vacuums, that's when teams can take a big swing in the opposite direction, um, regardless of how talented they are. So I'm a big believer again, as not surprising, like leadership starts freshman year. And then we build on it year to year so that by the time they're seniors, we've hedged our bets, we've stacked the deck, we feel like we're going to get the leaders we need, but we also know that we have the developing leaders coming up underneath them that are going to be ready to take charge when it's their turn. Is that a long-winded answer of not actually answering your question? Because I feel that was No, that was fantastic. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was great. I, I want to go back to something you said about a minute ago because it's so relevant to the people, most of the people that I think listen to this podcast, parents and coaches and stuff like that, you said you delegate and you know that they're going to do something wrong. You see it coming and it's hard for you to, to, to not jump in, not say something because there's a learning experience there. Do you have any advice for people in that situation? Because that's like such a big thing in youth hockey right now um, that we constantly are talking about, like, let your kids fail. Don't jump in. Don't intervene with the coach. Tell them to talk to the coach. Would you have any advice to like parents in this kind of very similar situation? Yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Nobody, if you care about somebody, you don't want to see them fail. But the, the flip side to that is if you care about somebody, you need to let them fail, right? Because that's where, that's where the most learning is going to happen. So for me, and, and this, is what, this is what I try to do. I'm not perfect at this by any means, but if I, if I see the hurdle coming, I'll start to ask questions in advance of that how are you thinking about this? What other concerns do you have? Just to get a sense, try to get them thinking in that 360 degree view to see if they can spot it themselves, right? Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. So they're going to go through whatever it is they're going to go through. And, and mind you, like, we don't want to let a kid get into a situation where they're really going to hurt themselves, right? I don't want to let somebody get into a situation on my staff where they're really going to hurt my organization if, if I let them go through this, right? So it's controlled risk in that regard. But okay, now they've hit the dilemma and now they're looking at you like, this didn't work. Now what do I do? 
that's when your role, you step in as a role of coach, right? Well, let's talk about what you think, what you felt really confident about going in. Let's talk about where things went wrong. What were the sort of the unforeseen circumstances that we didn't accurately predict? And then let's think about what we would do differently next time, right? It's just that it's that constant like learning loop that we have to facilitate. But it starts with being able to just zip it. Um, and that's that's tough, right? I, I have staff all the time who will come with me and we'll be talking about a problem and they'll sort of, they'll outline everything about it and tell me all the circumstances. And then they just look at me like, okay, now what do we do? And I, at this point, I've got them trained. I'm like, what am I going to ask you? What do I recommend? Yeah, what do you recommend? Like, tell me. You just out. You made the whole case. So tell me what. Tell me what you think. Tell me why you think. Um, and uh, they're getting better at that. So we're working on it. <laughs> I love that. And I feel like one of the things of a lot of really accomplished leaders now is the ability to problem solve. You know, sitting in in your shoes and and sitting as a as a head coach of a team or whatever, life is so freaking unpredictable. And a lot of times you have to problem solve on the fly and you have to teach and let other people problem solve on the fly. So they're not coming to you with every little freaking thing because you don't have the time and you need capable people that can do those kinds of things. Right. And so I just feel like leadership now, so much of it is kind of directing. And I feel like we're really cutting a lot of people short by directing so much and not asking questions like you talk about. What do you recommend? What would you do in this situation? And so when the unpredictability of life, (laughs) COVID, or basically anything that goes on during a day, like I would imagine, Jen, sitting in your chair in your office, you you can have a day laid out of I'm going to do X, Y, and Z today. I have these meetings. And I would imagine 0% of the time that day actually goes like that. And I know that from being in, you know, athletic, uh, you know, athletic administration and seeing what you guys do and and also being a coach in college. I mean, you can have, okay, I have to get my pre-scouts done today. I have to get this, but all of a sudden a player comes in and says, Hey coach, I gotta, I like, I gotta watch video on something. And you're not gonna say no, you can't say no, because that's your most important job is your players. So all of a sudden now 45 minutes of your day (laughs) is completely different than what you needed it to be. But now I got a problem solved. Now I got to figure out how to manage my time and do some things differently. So do you feel like a huge part of leadership is problem solving and also empowering other people to learn how to problem solve as well? Yeah, I mean, certainly depending on the context, right? Um, you know, in my world, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, you know, I, I, I suppose you could extend it. I'm trying to picture myself like in the middle of a competition, right? And I think that that's probably true there because we want athletes that can think for themselves on their respective fields of play, um, that we've sort of coached and educated enough to then empower them to make those decisions because we can't, we can yell at them from the side, but we can't actually do it for them, right? So. We need them to be able to make some of those decisions. Um, you know, I think some of it too is, is really a time factor, right? Like what is the urgency? Because there are, there are times when there's a leader who should just tell you what to do, right? If I'm a surgeon in the ER, you know, or the, something along those lines, like there's not always time to, to crowdsource the answers and to coach people up, right? Like if somebody's life is on the line, you're going to make that decision. Military, case in point, happens all the time, Um but I think where you have the luxury of time, 
then I definitely am an advocate for asking the questions and helping people to discover it for themselves. I'm also an advocate for that because it's modeling for them what you want them to do with others. Because again, I come back to this idea of, at least for me, I think my role is to continue to develop other leaders. Um, if I can leave this world having created and, and helped grow more leaders than the world started with, then I feel good about what I've contributed in my life in that way. And so to the extent I want to model for them that I'm not going to give them all the answers. I want to model for them that I don't have all the answers um, because that's the other piece of it. I don't, 100% I don't, particularly in the last year. Nobody does, right? So the only reason that we get to those places is because we take the time to allow others to, to step in and, and be part of the process. Um, and so, yeah, I absolutely think you need to try to do that. Um, and the other piece is solving the problem is, is one thing, right? So here's the solution but then implementing the solution is the other one, right? So I try, I value people who will not only solve the problem, but then will then take the steps to implement the solution um, and will simply just keep me informed along the way. Like, hey, just want you to know, here's what happened. Here's what I did about it. Here's where we're going with it. And just give me that insight. That for me feels like a win. Not everybody's like that. It's a matter of personal preference. Um, but my, my biggest pet peeve are what I call problem bombers um, who come and they're like, hey, this is totally messed up, right? Like this is going wrong. And then they just like turn around and walk out. Okay, what are we doing about it, right? So, um, or the people who have a problem for every solution. Those are my other pet peevers. Um, so. That is that has become a pet peeve of mine as well. And I think a lot of that is because I used to be one. I was very good at finding out what the problems were. And Shafe was really good with me about this. And I would piss him off a lot because I would come and he's like, okay, well, then what? Okay, so what are we going to do about it? And then I'd sit there as a young coach and be like, well, I got to get back to you on that. <laughs> you know, and it's not like, don't come to me with problems. Come to me with solutions to problems and then we can hash through it. That's, that's so true. And it like leadership, you said it before, leadership is action. There are so many people in this world who are idea people. And there are very few of those people who actually take those ideas and put them into action. And then there's even fewer people who, when they get kicked in the teeth because they made a decision to take an action and it failed, that will get back up and do it again. And then there's even fewer people who are going to hit that adversity again and again and again. And it just like the, the, the leaders are the ones that can continue to dust themselves off after taking that action from what they believe in and what they believe to be true. And it just, it's such a, not only like, um, like an idea thing about what a leader should be, but it's that action and that willingness to kind of step out and maybe be different from the crowd and do things maybe a little bit differently and not be afraid. And it kind of ties it back to it, not be afraid to be you and put yourself out there, which geez, in today's day and age, we talk about effects all the time. Like, God, that's a hard thing to do nowadays. And it's probably tough to develop these leaders because it's people don't want to put themselves out there for fear of judgment. It's, it's tough. I mean, and yet I, they will document everything they do on social media. But then when it comes to, yeah. So you bring up a really interesting point, which is another sort of pet peeve of mine, which is the concept of leadership by example. And it is exactly as you described it. Like setting a good example is like the price of entry for leadership, right? Like you don't have any credibility with your teammates if you're not doing the right thing. But if that's the only thing you do, it's not going to get everybody else on your team to do the same things. There is an action component in there. Like, what are you going to, okay, I'm doing all the right things. 
what are you going to do to make sure that your teammates are doing all the right things too? That requires action to your point. That requires putting yourself out there. That requires the risk of failure. That requires all of those things. So I will show you how awesome I am on social media and do everything, you know, reveal the deepest, darkest secrets of my life. But when it comes to like actually taking that risk in front of my teammates, like my people, that's terrifying to me and I don't want to do it, which is another way in which we really have to foster young leaders in particular and help them to get that out of, out of that mindset. Because yes, it checks a box that you're leading by example, but if you really consider yourself a leader, that, that's not enough. It's not enough. There's an action component there and we, there's lots of different ways to go about it, right? But you got to take that extra step. Just taking care of yourself is just taking care of yourself. Well, something I say to guys in the gym all the time, going back to the problems and solutions, like I, they say, they bring me a problem. I say, there are no problems. There are only solutions. Of course, there are some problems that, you know, solutions are hard, but like for me in my day to day, it's like, I'm like, they're like, why am I not gaining weight? Why am I not getting, you know, this? And I'm like, well, how much are you eating? Well, I'm at school. Okay. Well, again, that's a problem. Where's the, the solution? Do you make food the night before? Do you put protein in shakers and have those sitting in your backpack? Because if you don't, you're going to wake up late in the morning. You're not going to put them in there and you're not going to have food. That's an excuse. Let's come up with the solutions. Night before, prepare your food for the next day. Now you're going to get stronger. Now you're going to be better at hockey from literally a simple solution of preparing the night before. Like, yep. like don't you figure out you find out the problem and you immediately think, well, how do I attack this? What's the best way? How can I maneuver this? Well, how can I get the most out of this? Whatever. And uh, it's just so important to not just let people just bring up another problem, bring up another, like I, I don't like the word hate, but I hate those people. Mm-hmm. Like, no, stop, write it down. Think, okay, let's attack this. There's a way around this. Other people have done this. I can do it too. Well, and the way you just framed it, I love, you said, let's attack this. So in my mind, it's about having a competitive mindset about everything that you do. So in one of my past lives, I was a high school math teacher. And what haven't you done, Jen? Like, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) It's... It's, it's, it's always interesting to go into a job interview and have them look at my resume and be like, walk me through this. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's not linear. Um, it all makes sense in the grand scheme of things, but it's not linear. So, okay. High school math teacher. Um, and I had kids come to me and like talk about basically test anxiety. Like they're like, I know it when I do it at home at night, but then I get into the test and I'm nervous and they were athletes. And I'm like, well, how do you walk into a game? Like, when you walk into a game, you practice for the game, you walk into the game and like you're fired up because you want to see what the other team's going to throw at you and then you want to compete, right? It's the same thing. Like I, I have a mentality and I'm certain that you probably both do too. And I would say most athletes do. That, okay, first of all, we're all competitive by nature, right? Like no issue for us to compete on the ice, on the field, whatever it is. A problem is just another opportunity to compete in my mind, right? So it's like, okay, I have a challenge in front of me. I'm going to compete. I'm going to, I'm going to beat this. Right. That's a mentality. And, and Jeff, you use the word attack. It's that, it's that mentality, right? Like I'm going to attack this. There's a way around this. I'm going to attack it. And in some way, and I guess I'm oversimplifying this and I know that, but like in some way, some problems are harder than others to solve the harder, the better. Cause it's, it's like the more challenging the game, the better, right? Because it feels that much better when you win it. Um, I think that competitive mindset can go a long way for a lot of people. And I, I think something that 
we haven't even touched on here. We talked a lot about leadership. We talked about sports. Like it's so important to develop leaderships in sports and youth sports because those are the people who are going to be leading businesses, leading families, leading the like. So parents like constantly Topher and I are talking about how important we think hockey is for developing good human beings and how we can use it as this vehicle, whether they quote unquote make it or not. Like it doesn't, it doesn't actually matter. Like I was, I had a, one of my pro guys in this morning who's already done um, from playing over in Russia, uh, led the KHL and defensive scoring, not a big deal. What's up, Chris Weidman. And um, he, he was telling me about, you know, these companies that specifically go after division one athletes. Yeah. You know, I have tons of ex teammates that when they retire from pro hockey, they go work for striker. They're notoriously known for going after ex division one athletes, ex professional athletes, for exactly what we're talking about. They're leaders. They look mm-hmm. at problems and attack them. They don't just sit around and cry. These are all things you can like learn in hockey and sports and coaches, parents. We can be fostering leadership and all of these mindsets through youth sports. And the kids don't even know that they're learning it. And then all of a sudden they're, you know, going out into the real world and they're successful and they don't know why. Well, it's because you learned all of it in sports. 100%. I think sports, I think, so particularly at the college level, I, I think sports are designed to be a complement to education, right? They're co-curricular. They're part of your education. And I think fundamentally sports at whatever level they are, are exist to help us discover the best of ourselves, right? And so if we can discover the best of ourselves, if we can discover, you know, where we're strong, where we're weak and feel like we can compete and rise above challenges, we get to take that and apply it to whatever we want in life. Right. And this is where like, so I talk about this a lot through the lens of leadership development, but this is really how I believe as cliche and as hokey as it sounds like this is how I believe I'm changing the world. Right. I get to work with 18 to 22 year olds. I get to help them discover the best of themselves. I get to make an investment in in them as leaders and as followers. And the reality is they're going to take that and they're going to go off and be doctors and lawyers and run nonprofits and be great community members and be great moms and dads and in all of that, that stuff that makes the world a better place in my mind, which is a big pie in the sky idea, but I really, truly believe it. Um, I, 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 and I, again, you could have played three years at the youth level of hockey and still have that experience. And it still can shape who you are and where you're going with it. You don't playing in college is great for some people, but it doesn't mean that it, like doesn't diminish any of the athletic experiences they've had prior to that. And I think the key in all of that is like, yes, you learn all these things, but you don't appreciate it when you're learning it. So how can we as coaches and as family members and as parents and the whole nine yards, how can we help them understand and appreciate what they're learning when they're learning it so that they can then get better at it and continue to apply it? And God, my goodness, that was amazing. I feel like the other thing too is like, and this is leading even towards youth coaches. I mean, you never know the effect that you're having on the kids that you're affecting. And I think we can all kind of look back at some of the coaches that we played for, for the good and the bad. And we can remember a certain thing that they said or a certain way that they made you feel based on something that they did. And, and, and it's just, it's so important because these kids at those ages are so impressionable and they're looking to belong. They're looking to fit in and they will do anything they can to, to try and grasp that feeling. And, you know, I just, I feel terribly for some kids when they have coaches that don't really care or they have coaches where it's all about the coach and, and it just, man, it, what an opportunity, you talk about opportunity, what an opportunity for these people to really 
like you said, change the world and maybe not change the world on a macro level, but maybe you can change the world for one specific kid based on just caring about them and mm-hmm. teaching them something that they can then go on to teach somebody else later in life or will help them get into the college of their choice or get a job later in life or solve a problem in a relationship that they have. And it just like, it's all about influence. And as coaches, we got to kind of sit back and reflect and say, okay, what kind of influence are we having on this group as a whole? What kind of influence are we having on each specific kid? And and how can I have the most positive influence that I can? And uh, wow. I mean, just, what an opportunity. And the fact that you talk so passionately about your 18 to 22 year olds and and your opportunity to do that. I mean, just imagine if every youth coach or even every parent, I mean, whoever is in a, a leadership situation took on that attack mentality of, Hey, I can really change somebody for the better or teach them something. And uh, I I understand that that can be hard, especially for youth coaches and even parents who have their jobs and they have all of this stuff going on. But if we can reset ourselves before we get into these situations where we're going to be leading and and have that mentality, man, our world would be a better place. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it really, when you start to think about the ripple effects of it, it's it's incredible. And we know because it's been studied that like kind of the hard skills in life, like your, your basic IQ and, and your work ethic and stuff like that is not going to differentiate you over the long term. Because at the end of the day, you're going to wind up in a place where everybody else is smart. Everybody else works hard. But what they know differentiates you is your ability to work with other people and your ability to like, it's the soft skills, right? So it's your empathy, it's your listening, it's your communication. Like those are all things that start at the youth level in any sport, right? And so um, those skills, if taught early, those are the skills that allow those individuals to differentiate themselves the rest of their lives, right? And it only becomes additive. You know, the the longer they stay, the more they participate, and the more you're able to positively influence them or coaches that come after you are able to positively influence them, the more success we're setting them up for. I love that. I love that. Well, Jen, we have taken up a lot of your time here today and this is amazing. I feel like I'm right back in Ithaca with you. Just, you know, going through the big weather's better now. <laughs> yes, very much so. But we so appreciate your time. It's been great catching up here. Um, we wish you nothing but the best of luck with what you're doing at uh, at Johns Hopkins and, and Vax. I don't know about you, but I feel like this is going to be one of the most impactful episodes that we've had for our listeners and uh, very, very grateful for your time. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, and again, like if anything comes up or if any of the folks listening to this like need help, You know, if you're a coach at whatever level and you need help or you just, you know, need an exercise to do because you know you want to focus on something like just email me. I'm I'm here to help the cost. So um, my web, my email address is on the Hopkins website. Um, Krista filters it. (laughs) Full disclosure. She gives she gives me the ones that I need to see. So. Yeah, but we're gonna have to do like, uh, what's the thing at the top, like the topic of the email be like, hockey think tank question. (laughs) Then they'll get to Jen. So (laughs) and Krista doesn't throw it away. (laughs) You mentioned, um, you mentioned Chris Weidman, and I have to mention this. So um, there was a a hot minute where I taught yoga to the Binghamton Senators. Um, What you did that too? Yes. Uh, And (laughs) when he when he was on it, and he was like one of the most devoted guys who would come every single week. Um, so it's been fun to, I remember seeing him in the NHL and I've seen a bunch of those other guys as well. Um, and it's fun to know that 
I knew them way back when. So that's awesome. Yeah, he just just came off one of the best seasons of his career. It's awesome. It's probably because he was doing a lot of yoga. There we go. <laughs> uh, was Greening there? Was he there at the time? He, he needed was for to a brief, that. for a little, for a small, short period because I think he got called back up. Like he was, maybe he was down because he had been injured. Um, this was a while ago, um, but then he he went back up. But yeah, um, so that yeah, that was a small world as well. Um, that was fun. Those guys are a fun group for sure. That's so funny. I mean, it just ties everything together, Vex, too, because you talk about wides. I coached him in Miami for the year that I was there. He was a senior and and, and a leader on, yeah. on that team in his own way. Um, and then you talk about Colin Greening. Like I, these are two people that very much overachieved in their hockey careers. You know, Wides is a five foot ten defenseman that yeah. has played in the NHL and led the KHL in scoring. But he goes to the optional yoga sessions with Jen Baker, however many years ago. Colin Greening, same thing. Like I'm sure when he was at Cornell, and I know this from being his teammate for two years, he like he was predictable every day. He was doing the extra stuff, and he overachieved his career, had a long NHL career, and it just great leaders, great people. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's not an accident that those people are where they are. Definitely not. So good things uh, happen to good people. Yes. Yes. Very much. So, well, Jen, thanks a lot. This was awesome. This was so cool. It's going to have such an impact and, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again at some point soon. Awesome. Thank you both. Great to spend some time with you.